Uh, well, good evening. If I haven't met you before, my name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Uh, it's great that you've joined us. Um, please stick around afterwards for dinner. Uh, there's fresh bread in the oven right now as we speak. And so if you hear some beeping and scuttling going on, that's dinner happening. Um, the other thing to let you know is every week we do a Q&A after the sermon. So hopefully I won't preach too long and there'll be time for some questions. Um, but we're doing something a little bit different tonight. Normally, uh, the passage that's just been read, uh, the sermon will basically unpack that passage and try and understand what God is saying to us in that passage. Um, but we're actually in the middle of a, a series that's a bit different. Um, we're looking at these questions for Jesus, and um, we're asking Jesus um, questions that are really relevant to our time at, in this day and age. And uh, we're wanting to look at what Jesus would say in response to these questions. And so um, I'm really looking forward to getting into Zephaniah in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, we're doing this Hey Jesus series. And the question tonight is up there on the screen. Hey Jesus, how can we all get along? Um, So how about I pray and then we'll have a look at that question together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word become flesh and that that word is preserved for us in these scriptures that we have access to so readily in this country. We pray now as we come to your word that your spirit would be at work, that you would enable me to speak truth and that you would enable that truth to sink deeply into our hearts and change us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think when it comes to this question, our society, uh, it it puts people in two categories. So how can we get along? Well, it depends what category someone fits in. See, there, there are good people and there are evil people, the good guys and the bad guys. And most people are in the good guys category, right? And uh, sure, no one's perfect, but most people think that most people are generally good. And uh, they're just trying to get through life. And, and so the way to get along with people, uh, with the good guys, well, it's to play by the rules. And the most important rule, if you're one of the good guys, is that everyone has their own version of the truth. See, if you want to get along with people, you need to acknowledge that someone else's truth is their truth, and you have your truth. And provided we're happy with that arrangement, we can all get along. So provided no one tells me I'm wrong, well, we can all be harmonious. Except when it comes to the second category of people. See, when you start telling people they're wrong, well, that makes you intolerant. And so you're an evil person. You're heaped in with the racists and the abusers and the terrorists and the homophobes and the intolerant. The people who don't accept other people as valid and their position as valid. The people who tell me I'm wrong. These are the people we don't want anything to do with. And so we cancel them. We publicly shame them. We boycott them. We do whatever we can to avoid these evil people. And so as long as you make sure you're not one of those evil people, those evil intolerant people, we can all get along, right? But the problem is... We, uh, people in the, in the good people category, we're, we're rubbish at disagreeing with each other, right? Because it's breaking that fundamental rule. 
See, if you find someone you disagree with, you have two options. Either you can avoid that topic and remain harmonious, or you can avoid the person. You can put them in the bad guys category and have nothing to do with them. But there's a problem with that, right? If you're not willing to disagree with someone, if their truth is their truth and your truth is your truth, well, how will you ever know if you're wrong? If you only ever talk to people and share your opinions with people who are going to agree with you, how will you ever find the truth? See, tolerance in our society might look like tolerance, but actually it's just avoidance. Tolerance is getting along with someone you disagree with, getting along despite your differences. But what our society is pushing for is to avoid the topic altogether. And if you can't avoid the topic, avoid the person. But if you do that, how will you ever change your mind? How will you ever engage with different ideas? See, this approach to tolerance, it prevents us finding the truth. Because our society puts getting along with others above the truth. I mean, what even is the truth, right? The truth. Is there such a thing as an objective truth? Not in our society. What's true for you is true for you. And who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Because we just want to get along, right? And there's a number of churches that will take this approach. They say things like, let's not get too caught up on theological differences. Your theology is your theology, my theology is mine. That's just how you're reading the text. I read it differently. Let's just focus on what we can agree on. And so anything too divisive or controversial, we'll just put that on the, onto the side and focus on the things we can all agree on. Because if we want to reach people, right, we don't want to be all preachy. We don't want to talk about death and sin and judgment and God's wrath. No, let's, let's just talk about love and acceptance and peace. And we will talk about Jesus, but just in terms of being a great guy to model your life on, and how he taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and how he taught that God is so forgiving and merciful. If you talk about things like that, well, people will lap it up. No one's going to think you're intolerant if you preach like that. And they say things like, well, everyone's on this path, this journey to find God. And every path is a valid path. Many roads lead to God. And that part in the Bible about well, Jesus being the only way to God, well, it's more nuanced than that. And the Bible's teaching on sexuality and marriage, well, that's not for our times. That was a first century thing. We've moved on. And the wrath of God against sin, oh, well, that's just an Old Testament thing, right? We're New Testament people. See, in an effort to make sure everyone gets along, Many churches are following the world's way, the, the world's approach to tolerance. Let's avoid the tricky topics so we can all get along. And let's distance ourselves from those intolerant, nasty, fundamentalist churches who are really out of touch with the world. Because that's the other approach of churches, isn't it? Let's not even worry about trying to get along with people. I mean, this is the truth, right? If you don't like it, well, you can go to one of those other churches or... You can just discard it altogether and go to hell. It's not our problem. You can call us intolerant. 
maybe there's another way? You hope so, right? Is there another way we can all get along? One where we don't have to compromise on the truth, but where we can still love people. Even when we disagree with them. Even when it's disagreeing about the most fundamental beliefs about life. Is there a way we can build bridges to those that society has even rejected? Those evil people. And the answer is yes. Jesus has a better way for us to all get along. And it might be hard for some of us to hear. But my hope is that tonight you'll see that Jesus' way is the better way. So what's Jesus' answer to this question? Hey Jesus, how can we all get along? In other words, how can we live in harmony with one another? Well, it starts with recognizing who we are as humans. And the Bible shows us that there aren't two categories of people. There aren't good guys and bad guys. There are only bad guys. You heard me right. The Bible says there are only bad guys. You see, sin, it's the great equalizer. It's not just this small group of evil people out there somewhere. No, we are all evil people. See, the world thinks most people are generally good. And there's just a few people out there letting the team down. But the Bible says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands. We are all fallen sinners. And it's not just a few verses in Romans. The whole of the Bible, and especially the the story of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, which is more than half of your Bible, it's the story of a nation who God gave everything to. He revealed himself to them. He made them a great nation. He rescued them from slavery. He gave them a promised land and his perfect law to live by. And what did they do? Within a few years, they forgot what God had done for them. Time and time again, they turned away from God. They turned and followed false gods, pretend gods who gave them nothing. And even in their best moments, they failed to uphold God's law. They failed to be righteous like God. And in many ways, the story of Israel, well, it's our story too, isn't it? It's our own story. God has given us so much. He's given us life. He's put us in this country, in this beautiful city called Wellington. In a time where there's these fantastic gadgets like cars and iPhones and antibiotics. And yet not a day goes by where we actually treat God as he deserves where we give him the honour he deserves. Even on our best days, we fall short. And on our worst days, well, there's only one word for the worst thoughts of my heart, the worst things that come out of my mouth, the worst ways that I treat other people, or the things that I would do if I had the opportunity There's only one word to describe us when we're at our worst. Evil. And so who are we? Well, we're all sinners in need of saving. 
which means when it comes to how we treat other people, none of us has the right to point the finger at anyone else, do we? And so to avoid someone because we don't like what they stand for, well, we've done the same things. Maybe not exactly the same things, but who's to say that with the same upbringing or the same circumstances or being in the same situation that you wouldn't have done the same? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, this might be hard to hear. It might be even harder to admit, but it's true, isn't it? We're all sinners. It's the great equalizer. But you know, the Bible teaches us something that's an even greater equalizer than sin. And it's an even more foundational idea to our humanity. It's that we've been made in God's image. See, right back at the start of the Bible, at the start of history, in Genesis 1, where God creates the universe... There's something really special about humanity, the way that he's made humans to be. Have a look. It should come up on the screen. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, the other thing we need to know about ourselves, if we want to get along, is that we've been made in God's image, every one of us. So what does it mean that we're made in God's image? Well, it's profound. Just think about it. You are made in the image of God. Now, there's not enough time to even scratch the surface of what that means. But basically what it means is that we're like a signpost pointing to God. We're like a mirror that's supposed to reflect his likeness. We're we're like a portrait to display God's beauty to the universe. But the point for us tonight is being made in God's image. Well, there is both a profound worth In each of us, and a profound equality for all of us. Every human being is a precious portrait of God. And so that makes us all equal. It means that no one more one person is more valuable than another. Which is actually a foundational truth that sits under our Judeo Christian society, isn't it? It's a foundational truth that's actually crumbling in the face of a progressive secularist rejection of all things Christian. Now, bear with me here. I'm, I'm going to say some political things. These aren't political statements. Uh, they're just an observation of culture and theology. Um, let's all get along, okay? But as I think about our society and, and the, the move away from that Judeo-Christian heritage... I was actually baffled at our government's response to the pandemic. See, I was, I was baffled that our Prime Minister would value human life as much as she has. Now, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for it because New Zealand has one of the lowest COVID death rates in the world. 
But I was baffled. Because why? On what basis does a godless worldview preserve human life? What is the value of human life if you don't believe in God? The reality is that our Prime Minister doesn't value all human life because she doesn't see unborn children as human. But that's a topic for another day. At least what we can say is she values most humans. But why? On what basis does someone who doesn't believe in God value human life? I mean, if you want to remove God completely from the picture and just look at science, then surely you need to base your views on science. And so we should be saying with with Charles Darwin and Friedrich Nietzsche and Adolf Hitler, it's all about survival of the fittest, right? The, The Ubermensk, this superior race that will rise and suppress all these inferior races. And so why are we wasting all these resources on keeping weak people alive? Just let them die out. Or better still, actively wipe them out. Because that's natural selection, right? Sorry, it's just science. Why is that not the case? Now, as I've thought about it, I think a key reason why godless people like our Prime Minister, like your workmates and your classmates, a a, a reason why they value human life and equality and human rights, it's because whether they realise it or not, whether they understand why or not, Jacinda Ardern was made in God's image. And so she, like most people, just deep down know that there's this inherent value in every human being. They don't know why it's true. They just know it has to be true. And it is just true, isn't it? We know that humans are valuable, that life is valuable. But we know why. It's because we've been made in the image of God. So there you have it, two foundational truths about who we are that will enable us to get along with each other. Because if we're all sinners and we're all equal and there's this inherent worth and this profound dignity regardless of of race or gender or sexuality or age or political persuasion or intellectual or physical ability or profession or financial situation, we're equally valuable in God's sight. If that's true then it means we can embrace each other despite our differences. We can all get along because I'm no better than you. I'm no more valuable than you. It will help us. But in order to really answer this question, we need to look beyond ourselves and look at Jesus and what he did. See, I wasn't completely correct before when I said that we're all sinners. I don't know if anyone... Pick that up. Uh, But there was this one guy, right? His name was Jesus. And he never sinned. He was the perfect image of God. He perfectly displayed God's goodness to the universe. And what Jesus did for humanity, well, it changes everything. We read about it before in Romans 5. Now, We don't have time to unpack the whole chapter. There's a lot in there. Um, But if you look with me from verse 6, let's just look at these couple of sentences. Romans 5, verse 6. 
verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, what's described here is the most spectacular act of love imaginable. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, even though we've turned our backs on God time and time again, even though we're all sinners, we've all failed to be his image bearers, out of his love for us, Christ died for us. He puts it slightly differently in verse 10. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How amazing is that? This is what Christians sing about. This is why we sing. This is the concept of grace. A free gift from God. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a good way to uh, remember it. Amazing grace. We sang it just before. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, in order to get along with others, in order to be reconciled with those we've pushed away, It starts with being reconciled to God. And it's not going to happen by us pulling up our socks and coming to God and trying to fix the relationship. No, it's by God coming to us and taking on himself the debt that we owe for breaking the relationship. Now that's life-shaping, isn't it? That God would do that for you. It's life-shaping grace. And it's only when you're shaped by this grace, when it sinks down deep into your soul, that you can discover Jesus' way of getting along with others. Do you see how Jesus is the epitome of tolerance? See, more and more people are labeling Christians as intolerant. And some Christians might deserve that term. But Jesus, he was the opposite of intolerant. One of the most beautiful pictures of grace is in Luke's account of the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying, and he has every right to cry out for vengeance on those who have done this to him. Father, condemn these wicked men for this evil act of killing an innocent man, for you know I've done nothing wrong. That's what he could have cried. But what does it say? Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The very soldiers that mocked him, that spat on him, that beat him, that nailed him to the cross, and there they are dividing his clothes before him as he hangs on the cross dying. He asked God to forgive them. That's tolerance, right? What a beautiful picture of God's grace to his enemies. His enemies like us. Now that's the kind of grace that ought to shape our relationships, right? Now, I don't want to undermine what I've just said, but it's important to get a balanced picture of Scripture here, right? Because I'm sure there are some people who are a bit uncomfortable about how tolerant I made Jesus sound. (laughs) 
because there are people that Jesus tells us to avoid, that Jesus tells us not to tolerate. And the reason for that is that getting along with everyone, that's not the end game. It might be the end game for our society. That's all we can try and achieve, get along with everyone. But there's one thing that's more important to God than everyone getting along. And that is that evil is put in its right place. Because God can't tolerate evil forever and remain righteous. There will come a day when we will all be judged. And those who've rejected God and rejected his offer of salvation, that that free gift of Jesus, they will be rejected by God. Not everyone will be saved, but only those who have accepted and received his grace. So now is the age of God's tolerance. Now is the time where God is being patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and faith before it's too late. Because his patience won't last forever. And likewise, there's one category of person whom God tells us not to tolerate. And that's someone who calls themselves a Christian but refuses to repent of sin despite numerous and increasingly severe warnings. But even then, these same principles apply. We're no better than them. We're all equals. This isn't some second-class human we're dealing with. So we need to be slow to judge eager to restore and to reconcile and to welcome back with open arms. But back to our question. Until that day when sin is no more, while God is being patient in this day of tolerance and grace, how do we all get along? Well, we need to recognize that we're all sinners. We're all made in God's image. So we all have equal worth. And we need to recognize that Christ died so that our relationship with God can be restored. And it's when you understand that grace, not just understand it, but let it profoundly shape you, that's when you can truly love your enemy. That's when you can live a life shaped by grace, a life that will be gracious to others. And we don't have to compromise on the truth in the process. See, if we're shaped by God's grace, we can be secure in what we believe. And so we don't have to feel threatened by those who might disagree with us or not like the things that we believe in. We can hold firm to our convictions while still treating others with the dignity they deserve as God's image bearers. We can stand firm for what we believe to be right and just and true without looking down on those who do wrong because we stand with them as fellow sinners saved only by grace. And we can be a community that gets along with each other despite our differences. A community that bears with one another in love, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us. Now I think we can be encouraged. For the most part, I think City on a Hill is a grace-shaped community. And at their best, that's what churches are meant to be, right? Places where people from diverse backgrounds and political views and 
nationalities and economic status and per- personalities and educational levels. We all love one another as family because we've been captivated by the grace of God. And it's not always the case, sadly, even at our church. And I'm sure you've heard of people leaving churches or just feeling really hurt by how their church has treated them. If that's happened to you at our church, please come and talk to us about it. We want to repent of that. We want to change that. But too many churches are splitting. People are undermining leaders from within. Church leaders are abusing their power. Christian families are estranged from one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ are not talking to each other. Marriages are ending. People are being excluded from fellowship, either explicitly or just by not being included by everyone. It can be depressing and disheartening, kind of, when we see the church straying so far from what Jesus wants it to be. But it doesn't mean we stop trying. Because God has given us all we need for life and godliness. He's given us grace. He's given us his spirit and he's given us each other. So let's keep working at being a grace-shaped community that he wants us to be. But we need to remember who we are. We're all sinners. We're all equal, made in God's image. And we're all saved by grace alone. So, hey, Jesus, how can we all get along? Well, I think Jesus would say something like this. Remember who you are. You are no greater, no more valuable, no more righteous than anyone else. But you are precious, and so are they. And so go and do the same as what I've done for you to others. John 13, 34, 35 says this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I wonder maybe is there someone here tonight that you need to reconcile with? Or you need to pick up your phone later and call someone? Or maybe you need to start by being reconciled with God. Come and receive his free gift of grace. He died for you, even while you were a sinner. But wherever you stand with God or others, let's all reflect on God's grace and his love for us. Let's let it shape us deeply as we seek to get along with each other. Let's pray. Almighty God, We all fall short of your righteousness and your glory and the image-bearing role that you've given us. And so we are sorry. We confess our sin to you now. And we ask that you would help us to put off sin and live in a way that you taught us to live. Let us be more and more like Jesus, more and more shaped by the grace that he showed us so that we can be gracious to those around us, and especially those we don't naturally get along with. Please help our church to be a church that is shaped by grace, a community, a family, who love one another as you have loved us. Please do that work, Lord. Amen. Well, if the uh, musicians want to come up, uh, we're going to respond by celebrating the grace that God has shown us. And we're going to sing Grace Alone.
Uh, then we'll pray and I'll take some questions.